the seat of state government and the sprawl surrounding it, prospects for the new year, and the problems, some of them new, others lingering, and how to address them. But first, the chaos and calamity that followed literally in the wake of the water, the floods of spring 19. Now, a task force appointed by the governor reports its recommendations, and we'll discuss them with two of its senior members next on Arkansas Week. Support for Arkansas Week provided by the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, the Arkansas Times, and KUAR-FM 89. Hello again, everyone. Thanks very much for joining us. The economic and social pulse of central Arkansas as a new year begins. Options for both public and private sectors will get an assessment from its planning agency in just a few moments. But first... Avoiding a repeat of a nightmarish spring, not that many months ago, massive rainfall to the west and northwest of us brought shipping on the Arkansas River to a standstill. But more, it sent huge amounts of water downstream in an overflow greater than many levees could withstand. The collapse, the breach of those levees resulted in millions of dollars in losses. A panel appointed by Governor Hutchinson has studied what needs to be done and issued its recommendations this week. And joining us now to discuss them are the chair of that committee, Jamie Cook, Secretary of the State Public Safety Department, and State Senator Gary Stubblefield of Branch from the committee's legislative contingent. Sir, Madam, thanks very much for being with me. Madam Secretary, we'll start with you simply because you were the, the chair by designation of the governor. There are about 14 points in this. Some of them Mr. Hutchinson indicated to us this past week that he thought were really the standouts. Uh, but this, at any rate, it's going to cost money. Uh, much of it would appear to be in hand, correct? Much to bring these levies up to, right. Well, he did do, he, he uh, pledged $10 million just to for the damage that was done in the flooding uh, over the summer. So we're, we're working towards that. Uh, that's not going to fix everything. We're just addressing the, the immediate needs of the damage that was done by the floods this summer. So there'll need to be more, uh, but we're working through the grant you know program that he mentioned uh, on seeing how much that might look like and how long it might take to address all those needs. There would seem to be a little question about the money being released next week by an administrative vote, basically, which leaves about $2 million or thereabouts uh, undetermined. Can you determine it? <laughs> well, I think that the, the counties that have the damage, they're still doing some assessments and we're still going to receive applications for the rest of that funding. So we'll, we'll just see what the the levy board submit and see where we where we go with that. Yeah, Senator Stubblefield. Uh, well, as Secretary Cook indicated, ten million dollars is a start, and it's mostly in terms of, of bringing up to standard or recouping some of the damages done. Long term, we're looking at some really serious money, are we not? We are, we are. I think the Corps of Engineers estimated 105 million. Uh, that number they threw out somewhere in the middle of the task force to get things just 
uh, some of these assessments done and get some of the work done to bring these levees back up to standard uh, to where we won't be facing uh, what we faced this last spring. So yeah, it's, a, it's a considerable amount of money that we're talking about. The governor indicated that uh, he was strongly indicated this past week that he would prefer addressing this in a really significant way in the 21 session as opposed to the fiscal in February or March of this year. You concur with that? Well, I concur with the fact that uh, from a legislative standpoint, we want to look and see what happens this next 12 months as far as the other uh, uh, things that have been recommended, the recommendations that have made by the other three areas of the committee. And then we'll look at seeing if there's some need for more legislation. You know, most of the, the statutory framework for the levy system was put in before 1960. And there's been some laws based on the uh, legislative audit report that was done in 2009. There's been some legislation that was passed that addressed certain things like filling uh, uh, vacancies on levy boards and streamlining that process and making sure that these reports get in on time to the right people so that they can be evaluated and determine what deficiencies we have in our levy system. Uh, Some of those things have already been addressed, but we're going to wait and see. You know, sometimes we as legislators think that we can solve all of our problems by passing a law. That's not always the case. Uh, We're hoping that we get a lot of cooperation at the local level with these uh, levy boards, these political subdivisions, working with the the emergency management uh, and the Corps of Engineers, the county judges, all working together to see if we can solve some of these things that we've addressed in this report. as far as any any potential legislation being filed. I know that Senator Rapert sent an email out to me yesterday. He's looking into making sure that everyone has access or is at least told that they can buy insurance, make it available, whether they choose to do it or not. It's not a mandate, but uh, to making sure that they are at least notified that they can purchase insurance. Well, legislation includes includes appropriations bills. That's true. Uh, to, that you you would appear to have anyway a fairly sympathetic general assembly on the matter of levies, given the damage that's been done. But is not the onus now? And I'll address this to both Senator and uh, Secretary Cook. The onus is kind of on the districts, at least, to do their share. Correct. That's that's correct, and. It, I remember, uh, Secretary Which Cook, they have not done in the past. Some of these boards were just simply totally atrophied. That's true. And, and I said this, I made this statement, and uh, Secretary Cook remembers this, in the beginning of our first task force meeting, that we had a huge disparity in the, the number of levies that we had in the state, knowing which levies were where they were, uh, how many levies we had, how many functioning levy boards were out there, how many of those levy boards were even active or defunct. And we found out that there were a number of boards that weren't even meeting anymore. Some of those people had either died or retired, and no one. And what I'm trying to say is when you go a long period of time without a major disaster like we experienced this past spring, sometimes people get complacent, thinking that nothing is ever going to happen. Well, I hope I hope that, and I, th- I know this has, Secretary Cook's done that a good job, and I'm thankful that the governor appointed this task force to shine some light on this because we have no guarantee that this won't happen again in six months. 
So at least if there's anything good that came out of this, it showed us where we're vulnerable and some of the deficiencies we had or we have in regard to these levy boards that are no longer active. And uh, I think the county judges are going to get involved in this a lot deeper. Whether to both of you, whether it's you call it incentives or a hammer, does there need to be some sort of an enforcement mechanism to compel these boards to A, reinvigorate themselves, and B, assist in the inventory and the assessment process, Secretary Cook? I think we're seeing the momentum now just with the task force being created and us giving the, the county judges and the, and the districts uh, some usable information that, that they, can, they can take and get functional again. And uh, we need to look at long-term sustainability. We certainly don't want to invest funding into any project that's not going to sustain. You know, one story that I'll just share with you very quickly is I had uh, a board member. He was the, a lone board member. He was a farmer. Uh, in a levy district and he said you know I want to do the right thing I just don't know what that looks like and since that time they've reconvened that board uh, they're they're moving in a direction to receive some funding to get their levy assessed and where it needs to be so just the momentum that this task force created and this report being as usable as it is we're already seeing um, the county judges and the boards and the state and the federal government working together to, uh, to, to get us to where we need to be. So that's very exciting to watch. And so in, as far as a mandate, um, I think that's what Senator Stubblefield's uh, group concluded, that they're just going to watch over the next 12 months to see if there needs to be more uh, mandates out there to oversee things or if, or if the momentum that we're seeing now is going to sustain us long term. The, uh, how much of this to get these levies back up, those that are, are derelict or deficient? endangered, threatened, to restore them and to maintain them, though. Can that be done? What, what's going to be the revenue split? Can we even tell that, Senator? Now, do you have any idea of the revenue split between state and local sources? Because the core would appear to have done just about all it can do well, under present legislation. You know, one of the goals was to get some of these levies uh, enrolled back into the, the RIP program. Once they do that, whenever there's a, a, a disaster like we experienced this last spring, they will be eligible for federal funds. But getting all those in is going to be a tremendous uh, challenge because we have levies that have uh, been neglected for so many years. They have uh, miles and miles of timber that, on top of those levies that uh, really are uh, the integrity of those levies have been challenged because of that and some of this may have to be done in increments but at least we know where those most vulnerable areas are and those areas are be working they're, they're being worked on now uh, and Steve when you look back and you consider the amount of water that came down that river from Oklahoma our levees really held up basically well they really did considering the amount of water that came into Arkansas because it could have been a whole lot worse uh, that's the most river. Uh, that's the most water that's came down a river since the Kerr Magellan. Uh, yeah, right. yeah, and a lot of people, you know, I drive across those levees every day, and a lot of people do, and I don't think a lot of Arkansans really realize uh, just how important those levees are to our overall infrastructure in this state. They protect so much property, and uh, and uh, 
they do a lot of other things as far as, you know, farmers and, and people have houses behind those. So the levees are a very, very important part of our inf overall infrastructure and our commerce in the state. Uh, just a few seconds remaining, if I have one final question, Secretary Cook. I think you noted, or Senator Stubblefield noted, this study involved levees along the Arkansas. There's also some creatures called the white, the red, and the delta, and some of the north central counties are just peppered with levees. What about an assessment there? When does that begin, or is it underway? We, that was one of our recommendations, that we continue those assessments, and we're working now with uh, the governor's office and some different stakeholders on how we can make that happen. Secretary Cook, Senator Stumblefield, thanks very much for coming in. You're welcome. Please come back, both Thank of you. you. And we'll return in just a moment. And we're back. Metroplan, the planning agency for the six-county regional area of central Arkansas, has issued its uh, semi-annual report, and we thought it would be a good time to take a look at the central Arkansas economy and the trends there, uh, therein. Tab Townsell is the uh, executive director of Metroplan, and some of the, much anyway, of the data accumulated in this latest report is the work of Jonathan Lupton, also of Metroplan. Gents, thanks very much for coming in. Thank you for having us. Thank well, you. this December report, which we're getting to now, uh, is uh, all in all positive, slow but steady. Is that a fair assessment? I think it is a fair assessment. We are solid, we're slow, we're steady, nothing extraordinary. Either way, I think that is a very fair assessment. Well, do you want it that way? Should we want it that way? It tends to be much better on the way down, although we don't get all the glory on the way up. And that's, that's probably a fairly stable, it's probably better for the business models of, of many people to have it that way. Yeah. John Lupton, you discovered in, in analyzing all of this data that, that kind of, of a continuation of a trend that in one sense is kind of troubling, and that's the high-tech area or professional services area, yep. which we're losing employment in Central Arkansas. Yes, and honestly, that one, I don't yet have enough information. Sometimes when these trends are identified by the data, it takes a little while to sort of learn what the backstory is. And so I can't tell you specifically which firms that involves. Um, that said, tech is a complicated sector, and there are some areas in tech that we're doing pretty well, too. If you can't identify specific industries or enterprises, is there a deeper trend at work there, broader trend at work there? Well, I mean, I can tell you... Undercurrent uh, in the economy. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the downward undercurrent that we're dealing with is the all-tail buyout. And I think that that was bigger than people realized. I think we were sort of told at the time, don't worry, Verizon's bought them out. It's going to be okay. Actually, if you look at the numbers, our information sector, telecommunications jobs have nosedived. And we are now below the national average in our share of those jobs. Um, so that has been a, a drag on the local economy. Um, the business services sector just recently kind of took a downturn. Um, but what we've seen strength in, um, in manufacturing, we've been good, and we've shown value rising a lot faster than employment, which is what you want, right? I mean, that means, that means we're producing a lot. Our productivity's going up. Um, and then um, the finance sector, that's in both bond financing and, and banking, both of those show strength. What's driving that? I mean, the, the, the banking and finance sector was just remarkable in its yeah. growth. Yeah. What's driving that, gentlemen? Well, Tam? I, th I think what we're seeing is after that, that um, 
wave of consolidations of the local banks into bigger regional banks and the, the damage that was done to them in the Great Recession, we're seeing a rise of, of local banks again that are beginning to consolidate into more regional status and we're redeveloping that, you know, for lack of a better term, banking stock at the local level again, putting back in what we once had that was taken away in the consolidation waves. Right. Is there, uh, do you see that slowing at all? What, is there, have we peaked out in terms of that? Maxed out in, I'd in say terms of no, making There's no way to know. I'd say there's potential there. I, I think what we're finding is that the area has sort of banking and finance acumen, just a natural affinity that way. And, um, you know, it, it's a little amorphous. It's hard to know exactly where things are going. Um, but I would not say that we've maxed out. I would say there's potential, and particularly in the fintech sector. That's financial technology sector. Yeah, well, I was going to ask, too, okay. follow up on that. Does that extremely uh, rapid growth, substantial growth, does that make it in some way vulnerable, that sector? Of the well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's extremely rapid. I'd say it's promising. And so I wouldn't say yet that it's vulnerable. Um, and that's just a guess, um, because finance by nature is sort of a secretive sector, right? It, it, you know, it keeps information a little bit under wraps. And we work with federal statistics. So we get the statistics, we analyze them, we, we identify trends, then we go out and meet with business leaders. And what I've heard from business leaders is kind of promising. Um, and yeah, go ahead. People who build things had a pretty good, have had a pretty good yes, time lately. That is true. And Both residential and commercial. Absolutely. It's, and, it's actually, I think your numbers proved out that it was the best year for, for non-residential, for commercial building, right. institutional building, that we've had even after inflation, uh, inflation adjustment. That's right. So, I mean, we were booming around 2005 was when our, our building permits hit their highest value level ever, and it's been down you know, quite a bit below that. But last year, in, in 2018, it was actually the highest ever recorded for commercial construction, and residential was okay. Well, there's the word. Okay. Yeah. Well, steady. You know, um, if you look at commercial, the fantastic residential. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. And much of that was in multifamily, was it not? A lot of it was in multifamily. Yes. Apartments. Um, yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, single family is just not. Um, uh, what What seems to be happening is single family is going more toward high value homes, and so there's just not you know a large amount of growth. The, the dollar values are going up. Maumel had the the highest ever permits, 300000 for the average new unit in Maumel. Um, but um, uh, the total number of units is not as great. But we've seen multifamily doing pretty well. Yeah. Little Rock North, Little Rock, to be absolutely parochial about it. You gentlemen, of course, respond to or answer to a council of, what, six, seven county governments. Yeah. Little Rock's very concerned about the out-migration, which, uh, and we were talking just before the broadcast, we're, of course, coming to you from Conway. Eight from, I guess, 7.15 until 8.30 in the morning, there is a solid stream of cars coming from Conway to Little Rock, same from Benton Bryant and from Cabot on the east side. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you see Pulaski's population, any, any change whatsoever in the last several months in that dynamic? I don't. Uh, again, Jonathan's more of our demographer. That's all I'll defer yeah. to him. I mean, I think it's actually, uh, we're not seeing the out-migration we used to see. In the 90s and the 2000s, out-migration was rapid. Um, it has slowed. It's still going on. Um, and I see it to some degree as economic exchange. I mean, uh, Pulaski County is getting a lot of the value added, you know, the jobs, the, the economic activity. People are living somewhere else. Um, that's not automatically bad for Pulaski County. 
Um, but also, we've actually seen in the early 2000 decade, uh, 2010 decade, we saw some signs of growth in Little Rock, in North Little Rock. And, and um, that has since kind of gone back towards suburbanization, but it's not going as fast as it was a couple of decades ago. It continues to be biomed or slash clinical, uh, continues to, to, to be a major, have a major positive impact in terms of incomes, simple jobs created in central Arkansas. Yeah. The medical sector is, is solid, it's steady, it's predictable, um, and there is that biotech aspect of it. Um, probably the most interesting thing going on right now that I can see is Safe Foods, which is a company that has gone from near bankruptcy, um, apparently, um, to being really on the brink of, of some major growth, and they've done some big investments in North Little Rock. Um, so I think there's a lot of future there. That would seem to have some implications, direct implications anyway, for public policy in terms of moving as much either public or private capital as possible into that area. Maybe not in terms of equity, direct equity by, by governments, but certainly in, in, in encouraging it and or pumping as many additional dollars as possible into the clinical aspect. It is the med side. a driver, and I think it's important for our state legislature to get that message. Uh, the, one of the things about the, the Little Rock economy, the broad Little Rock economy, great Little Rock economy, is that it this is where a lot of the state does come forward to get their services. So if you look at you know, some industries in Arkansas, Little Rock area is not necessarily overly populated at the top, but in other areas, like those secondary services, they are. And certainly medicine is one of those. They'll come here as a reference uh, place to get those services, you know, and medicine and health is part of that. In your report, you touch also, gentlemen, on opportunity zones and in trademark candor of Metroplan. You say the jury's out on them, but they're yes. opportunity zones. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the best case that I've heard for opportunity zones is that there's a lot of idle capital sitting there not going anywhere in, in a time of, of great inequality. And yet there are areas that badly need investment. And, and the, the tax changes under opportunity zones can encourage investment in some of those areas. Um, the downside is we don't know if it really helps the poor. Um, it, it may get cost gentrification and investment in certain previously poor areas. That doesn't mean it's helping the poorest residents. And finally this. Anyone who drives around central Arkansas, and I suspect the same is true statewide, with his, drives with his or her eyes open, is seeing something that you alluded to in, or detailed in a previous report, acres, literally acres of empty retail and in some cases office space. Well, is that trend going to continue? Are people going to continue doing retail with a click of a mouse? I believe they are. Uh, Jonathan's done more research, but I believe you'll see more of that. And that's, that's juxtaposed against a continuous drive for more commercial acreage and more commercial developments and new commercial developments to add luster to the shopping locally. And those are divergent trends that we've got to recognize our public dollar can't stretch that gap right. forever, and we've got to be very cognizant of that. Yeah, Jonathan? Yeah, I just wanted to add a footnote is that, that retail sales have upticked in the last year, and that surprised me. And it's, it's in addition, it's in, in spite of Internet sales, which are, I think, threatening the retail sector. And I think that's a sign that we've got some income growth going on that hasn't yet been caught in the federal statistics. So it could be a sign that our area is taking a little bit of a tick up, but I don't know for sure. Yes. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, but I don't want to contradict the idea that we are definitely facing a lot of uh, stress in, the, in retail markets. And it's a case of feast and famine. There are some firms that are doing superbly, 
but there are other places. There's a Sears close to where I live that's closing down, you know, where we're going to see a whole different land use dynamic in the future. All right. Gentlemen, thanks very much. Jonathan, Tab, come back soon. Thank you very uh, much. Maybe in about six months with a new report. With a new report. All right. All right. Good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us as always, and we'll see you next week. Support for Arkansas Week provided by the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, the Arkansas Times, and KUAR-FM 89.